0: Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nest Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from episode 19. Our review of last week's ICER public comment session on their assessment of the acid and resmeteron. plus from the vault. Conversation 36.5 from season three. Last July's wrap-up of our conversation about Intercept Pharmaceutical and their release of updated regenerate data on beta acid. This conversation starts with one of my straight-back-jacket-of-biopsy perceptions. The idea that simply halting disease progression is probably a victory in real life, clearly victory in real life, but defined as failure in clinical trials with the goal is a one-level reduction in fibrosis. Wayne Eskridge describes that perspective as, and I quote, crazy, and even crazier that they included biopsy in their standard economic analysis. He and Mike Patel both note that no one is gonna do biopsies on the standard patient before prescribing the medication. I concur and add that including the cost of biopsy in a pharmacoeconomic analysis will drive up the estimated cost of treatment significantly, particularly given that we have a high level of alignment about the proper use of NITs and screening and diagnostic processes in place of biopsy. At this point, Wayne which goes back to an earlier issue, which is that simply stopping progression should earn the drug, as he puts it, a gold star, partly because of the impact on day-to-day life and partly because it will boost morale. In the final part of this discussion, Louise Campbell and Mike Patel discuss the importance of considering the liver in the context of other organs in the body. In our first conversation on the Icer preliminary report, GLI Vice President of Liver Health Programs, Jeff McIntyre, said he appreciated patients having a voice, but noted that that's not the same thing as having a vote. Patient advocates' comments in this conversation make it clear exactly how wide the gap between the two is right now. Fortunately, as Veronica Miller noted during our first ISA report episode, ICER reporting has no impact on FDA decisions. But as we discussed during this conversation, it might have an impact on payers. Progress is a long journey, so let's all keep pushing. And while you do, listen, sit back, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the discussion in our LinkedIn discussion group. Now, we get back into my frustration with judging everything by biopsy, which is if in fact we can stop progression of disease so that over time, patient's level of fibrosis will stop where it is. And that's all we do. Is that a benefit worth paying for? And I think to me and to, I'm going to guess everybody on this call, the answer would be yes. But that's because we see it as progressive disease and we see the endpoint as being really nasty. If you view this data as if you didn't get your one level of regression of fibrosis in 12 months, you didn't succeed on the drug, then they're going to view an awful lot of patients as having failed. I think that's part of what we call the uh, ultimately the psychosis and straitjacket check the yoke of uh, biopsy, which is if you look at this through sort of biopsy window, I think it underplays the benefit of the drug itself for patients.
1: Wayne Eskridge. Yeah, I thought it was crazy that they put the biopsy in as their standard uh, analysis because there's nobody going to do biopsies of the average patient. Mike Bottel.
2: It would curb the uptake of the drugs when they're approved, but who's going to want to go for a biopsy for this treatment.
0: Mike, I heard Wayne say two things, and that was one of them. Here's the other one. If you factor the cost of a biopsy into the cost of diagnosing a patient, you've just driven the cost of diagnosis through the roof. So the economics of that are crazy, and they're totally with Wayne. I think what we, what I keep hearing, at least, is that what insurers are likely to do is hold the indication to label, but not require a biopsy. If there's another means of testing that's proven adequate, which is why it's so important that all these guidelines have come out and advocated the same pathway that does not include biopsy and why it's so important that uh, Nimble, Litmus, Goldmine, Nail, and IT are all in the business of demonstrating that we can get to strong and robust diagnoses without ever going to a biopsy. You're right, patients won't do it. And by the way, if they do do it, it blows the cost structure completely out of the water.
2: Plus, how long is it going to take to see patients? If, if they're, how, What's the waiting time going to be for a biopsy?
0: Tony Vigliotti. It was even kind of suggested by, by one of the speakers that maybe you should have a biopsy before one of the drugs was prescribed, which is obviously a notion that doesn't make any sense. But just in terms of the discussion, I mean, the, uh, the purpose of the discussion wasn't a big picture approach to how we solve the issue of uh, fatty liver disease. It was, more, it was a narrow look at whether these drugs are worth it, you know, in terms of fighting the disease. But then I'll go back to Wayne's point, which is that if, if you have to get somebody a biopsy before you prescribe the drug, then you've changed worth it rather dramatically.
1: Yeah, yeah, question. You know, the comment you made about whether or not stopping the progression is a value to the patient. And I can tell you that that's the very first gold star that you can get is if you can not get sicker while you try to deal with it. There's not a patient out there that would say that that's a bad thing and that it's not worth stopping that, even though that's all it did while it gave me the opportunity to actually perfect my lifestyle. Style of response, you know, that would be a benefit to patients that would really help them because it takes time and it's hard and we have a lot to learn. So if we could confidently feel like we weren't losing ground every day, that's a great boost to the morale of a patient.
0: Agreed. And right now, the way the results of trials are stated, that's defined as failure. Tony, or to, uh, Mike, when you talk about lack of empathy in the whole system, that's actually the first place I go is that the way we score trial results right now is extremely mechanistic and And unappreciative. And Louise, I heard a comment the other day I'm gonna ask you to comment on. But the idea basically was that Hep C you could clear the inflammation in twelve weeks. And see a real difference, but fibrosis didn't respond for two to three years or, or fully respond for two to three years. And here, in a case where we're not hitting inflammation as hard, we're expecting fibrosis to respond in 12 months. And that's just not realistic or sensitive to the disease or the effect on the patients.
3: Louise Campbell. Yeah, I think you've got that um, generally right. We would fibroscan our patients um, three months, six months and one year post-treatment. And you do see quite rapid regression. But like any liver condition, some people go on to develop a second condition. So, if you use the example of hepatitis C, some of those patients would then go on to develop fatty liver. So, you then compound one liver injury with another, and particularly in hepatitis C genotype 3, which predominates fats within the liver anyway. So, you can have lots of different issues. Removing and changing liver health from one condition does not necessarily mean you're immune to another one. So, I think liver health, as a per se, is more than just one disease entity. Coming to ISA in particular on this report their premise was this was a non-progressive disease so therefore not stopping disease progression was a, was was not even in the frame of thinking. We commented on how old a lot of the data was that they used. I just wonder whether or not a lot of the references to where fatty livers sat in our knowledge base in the late sort of 20. 20- or the noughties, for example, is very much where this is based. We didn't think it progressed. We called it benign. We didn't think it had too many symptoms. So a lot of what I read and have listened to the gentleman talk about is stuff that we have gone on to know more as a field. So therefore, we know it's progressive. We know it is strongly effective on people's symptoms, but not every single person has the same symptoms. It's extremely heterogeneous. It's probably one of the most difficult conditions to nail down. And when you're trying to be as precise and regimented as a process as ISA have here, this is not a disease that fits that spectrum. So therefore, you lose empathy, you lose knowledge, and you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. That's very much the sense I got from here. The only benefit that we can say when you watch... Progressive removal of liver diseases and health conditions is you watch the cardiac indexes improve, you watch the diabetes improve. So, therefore, until we really see this in the real world situation, ISA may always feel that this is a non progressive and therefore non regressive disease, but it's related conditions that it really benefits. So, I think it's flawed.
2: Louise, like I, I, and it hasn't come up a lot in these discussions, but I really love that you're really relating to the liver damage to other organs too so it is a multi-system type of involvement so when somebody is just measuring the impact of the liver they're going well the liver's getting worse or the liver's getting better but what about all of the other involvements like the kidney as an example or the brain or the heart right all of those other issues are impacted as well and even sleep apnea is a huge industry on its own you know so there's there are these these interrelationships too so they were not taken into account at all it was just really just about the, the liver side of it from what I have seen.
3: But that's very much what medicine does. We silo. The body never silos an organ. It crosstalks all of the time, but we silo health into particular niches. And that's one of the problems when you come for anything. It's a regimented question. I have a in row in my head saying they are only going to be answering one point.
0: And, and, and that's nice where the process is a lot better known and more widely understood. And, and then I go back to one of your favorite Donna Cryer moments, turning to Vlad Rotsi and saying, if I'm dead, I don't care what killed me. And now back to Roger we hope you've enjoyed this recording if you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com next week's topic's a bit up in the air but all our options are superb i'm sure you'll enjoy the episode so until then stay safe surf on we'll see you on the podcast bye-bye now